song, Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 129th episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs, and once again, venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1985 sci-fi special. Uh, we're seeing these specials become... A bit more of a testing ground for new 2080 t- um, talent, combined with excellent classic 2080 action. Um, and now, of course, several pages from the Judge Dredd Saturday comics. Price the special this year has stayed the same at about at, uh, 60 pence. But more important than any of that is that my is my guest for this episode, David Renade of Where the Where Eagles Dare podcast. Whoa! Hey. <laughs> Along and with to the, me, it was a yeah. whole one dollar fifty. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, New Zealand prices, of course. Yes. Yeah, so uh, along with Peter Adamson, who we had on for the uh, Judge uh, Dread Annual last year, David, you talk about the early 80s Eagle comic, and that's a really great show. I listen to every episode. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. And we uh, we owe so much to you for the actual <laughs> inspiration that, yeah, yeah, you can do the comics you read as a kid. Oh, yeah, listen. <laughs> it, is valid. it is valid. Like, I like to yep. you know, I'm, I'm just one corner of the, uh, of the comic book recapping podcast milieu. There's so many out there. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I appreciate you guys, um, you know, um, linking it back to me or to 2008 or to a Space Spinner 2000. You know, it's always fun for, yep. 2000, for 2080 and 2080 related podcasts to stick together. <laughs> yes, yes. We um, are a community, damn it. Absolutely. Hey, so, uh, can you share, so did you read 2080 when you were growing up and can you share like your 2080, uh, origin story with us, I suppose? I'm a big fat dirty cheat because oh, no. I'm, I'm a prog oneer, but I've never read it. I've never bought any actual issues. Oh no. <laughs> my uncle was, um, was, I have an uncle who's about 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go and stay with my granddad and there'd be this big stack of 2080s, which I'd read. So when I was about five or whatever, I stayed one night and read the first 50 issues. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, but, and as you grow up, I, I my mum got me eagle. I used to read, look and learn, but you'd always go to the, the dairy, the corner shop, not the comic book store where I grew up. And you probably <laughs> just pick them off the shelf and annoy the, annoy the staff by flicking through and reading them. Um, and in later life, I'd, I'd pick up, you know, the occasional annual in a secondhand shop or the best of 2008 AD monthlies. Cause that would be a big, big old hit of the stories you wanted if you mm. wanted to get them. Um, but of course, they'd be slightly serialized. So for a long time, you didn't know what happened at the start of Halo Jones book three <laughs> because you missed that issue. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's all a bit random, but no, it's, it's been a, a bit, uh, you know, English comics were a big part of my past and 2000 AD was always more aspirational than the ones I was currently getting. <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. So you, so you've gotten some annuals and stuff. Did you, did you have, uh, this one when you were a kid or, or have you, had you read this one sort of, I guess, like in the wild before doing the podcast here? Uh, no, I haven't actually read that. I mean, a, a couple of years ago, I did the prog slog, mm-hmm. um, for the 40th. Um, but the annuals and specials I've missed out. So, um, but although having said that though, I have very fond memories of, of one particular story, which we'll get to when we get to it. Excellent. All right. So how's, uh, how's Where Eagles Dare going? I know we talked to, to Peter, um, earlier in the year here. Um, so love to hear sort of like how you, how you guys are going with that and you're progressing through Eagle and stuff. We're going really well. We're, we're going to have a bit of, uh, an interesting time soon because Eagle does have a revamp sort of midway through its second year where it ceases to be the photo strips and becomes more of a comic book, comic book. Mm-hmm. And that might be a bit of a speed bump because also we've got the Man Overboard episode soon where Peter actually stopped reading them as a kid. Ah. So it's all going to be fresh and new for him. But um, uh, unfortunately, as 2000 AD aged with its readership, I think there was an understanding with with IPC that um, Eagle was an entry level for 2000 AD as the Mm, next step. And they started pitching their stories a little bit lower. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then they, and then they do something like amalgamating with Scream, which, <laughs> so it gets a bit schizophrenic. Yeah, that it's, sounds like an intro. Yeah, on. that's once yeah. add once for younger readers, and then also with these horror stories and stuff. That sounds like an yes. interesting combo for sure. 
Although having said that, though, one of the interesting things with both 2018 and and Eagle, and we see it more in Eagle, you have the readers' photos come in because they print the photos. Mm-hmm. And so you have these stories where people are getting decapitated by killer alien robots and disintegrated by super fiends. <laughs> um, and they're about six or eight and younger than my own children. I'm sitting there going, well, I remember reading this at about that age, but I'm not sure I'd let my kids do it now. Uh, uh, yes, reaching, reaching the point where you're, uh, where you're starting to sympathize with, uh, what's her name, uh, White House or whatever? Oh, uh, Mary White House. No. <laughs> no. But it is kind of like, hey, like these are kind of violent. Like, like I've been reading, I've been reading action a lot recently, just as mm-hmm. part of a space spinner reaction. And, um, you know, like, man, like, Hookjaw really just sort of cuts, like, eats people in half a lot. Like, it is, it is, oh, yeah. it is, it is shocking to my, like, I don't know, 2018 eyes, even. I can imagine, like, mm. 1976, you know. Well, in Where Eagle's Dare, and we have it a lot more in Eagle because Eagle is not science fiction. There are contemporary stories in there, mm-hmm. but we do have an alarm we play because there are points where you hit, oh, it's the 80s. <laughs> like, what were we doing then? I know. Yeah, we we just read. Yeah, we we went through some of that in hell in a hell trackers too. Where it's mm. like, oh my gosh. But um, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's interesting just to see the differences between the the two comics, like between Eagle mm. and 2000 AD. The idea that you know how we can have these things with different genres and stuff like that. Um, you know, sort of coming out with a lot of the, or with a lot of overlap in the creative teams and from the same publishers and stuff. It's something mm. I think that that that's real different. Than maybe American comics, I guess, where, you know, like, like at this point, like in like the late seventies, early eighties, like, you know, all the like, like the Marvel superheroes are kind of similar. You know, there's not a lot mm. of huge variety in terms of like the media used, even the idea of like there being one, like, I don't know, Marvel superhero book that that's photographs or something is really interesting. There's a house style idea. and they all, yeah. they all conform sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, yeah, interesting thing. And I just, yeah, I just want to say, I really love Where Eagles Dare. It's something I really look forward to. Oh. And we're, we're, we're thankful for all your support since we started. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a tremendous boon to us and nice to know someone's listening. Oh, for sure. You know, we spent, uh, maybe six months just sort of going into the void. So it's definitely, I definitely understand that, that difference. And it's really cool. You know, I know so little about these British comics that sort of having other perspectives on them and stuff is super valuable and really interesting of just sort of picking things up and stuff. And like I said, um, with, uh, Peter, I also really appreciate you guys sort of having a view of, you know, even remotely from New Zealand, but just an idea of English culture that I definitely don't have in like, you know, in the in the early eighties, when you know I was like a baby, sort of, and, so. and, and, and even for us, a lot of it is. I mean, there's we we had, there's a story about a school, and so we were sitting there going, "What the actual hell? This is nothing like the schools I went to. What's going on?" Totally, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just started on on the on the show that I or on the most recent one I heard, and yeah, that sounds real like so much of the like a uh, like oh yeah, this is a, it's like a new junior high or something, and it's really like messing me. It's like I don't understand the content except of it, but yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! All right, so let's get to this here comic. Uh, just to give you some context um, for this special, we're coming into it from Prague four fifteen. So that means that Halo Jones book two has just ended. The Hell Trekkers have reached their destinations. Dreads fought a kid with fire eyes. And the new adventures of Rogue Trooper and Slain are just starting. It's a real magical time in 1985, you know? Like, yep, yeah, the, the, the golden age. It really is, you which know. It, which, <laughs> yes, compared with Eagle. Mm. Oh, you know. <laughs> oh, it gets a bit grim around there. But anyway, yes. <laughs> But yeah, so this special has a cover by Ian Gibson of a dread looking real cool on the cover and a big list of all the contents of it. It's really funny just because they have so many billings of different 2000 AD characters that are in here and in wildly different uh, amounts, you know? Mm, (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think some some complaints could be made against the Trades Description Act for um, maybe some of the things on the bottom of the list. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So 
the inside cover has a table of contents, uh, rogues sort of looking at the cover and the chips are saying they finally made it in the sci-fi special, which is kind of odd actually because there's only a, a text rogue trooper story this year when there's actually been rogue trooper comics the last three sci-fi specials. It's like they're in it less now than they have been like in the last three years. <laughs> the, the, the thing for me is actually uh, Gunner's a DR and Quinch fan, which just, just rings so true. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not I, sure you'd get the irony though. Well, I <laughs> think it's a documentary series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like both actually, both characters, um, like Bagman wants to just start with Dread, which is the first story, and Gunner wants to go right to Dr. and Quinch, which both feel right for those characters. Honestly, I sort of <laughs> sympathize with Bagman's orderly. Like we'll just start with the first thing and read it through, <laughs> and Gunner's like, no, let's get to the violence. It's time to go. <laughs> Anyhow, but for our purposes, we're going to follow Bagman's lead and go to Through One, Judge Dredd. Uh, Scripter about John Wagner, Alan Grant, Steve Grover, art about Cam Kennedy, letter about Tom Frame. And yeah, it's a dark and stormy night in Mega City One as um, Dr. Bob's bestiary is heading through some wasteland to its next destination when one yeah, of their... I, oh, good. No, I do have one very quick question. Is yeah. Dr. Bob's animal beastry? Yeah. Is there any other type? <laughs> Is there a robot Ooh. beastry? Is that a rotisserie? What's going on? Yeah, I guess I guess once it's like the the animal is is, is implied in the in the beast part of bestiary, it's a fair point. <laughs> but you know, bestiary is also a pretty big word for like 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 Mega City One citizens, you know? So sometimes you gotta kinda dumb it down a little bit. It's the, uh, it's the redundancy of the ATM machine, for instance, or something Fair like enough. that, you know? Yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and this is from, from an outfit which is Dr. Bob's. It's important, you know, it's better than Dr. <laughs> Bronner's, I suppose, although yeah. maybe it's also pepperminty. But so they go I, over, I, okay, please. No, no, I was gonna say, I can't, unfortunately, I, it does mean I listen, to, when I read it, I do hear in the voice of Dr. Nick. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, everybody! The cage is sprung open, and one of the one of their deadliest beasts is loose. Meanwhile, Dred's on patrol, busting some vagrants when screams go up, and he investigates. Another vagrant has been killed by a monster, which then attacks Dred. Oh no! Uh, luckily, his bite cannon is there to shoot it off, and the monster escapes. Dred calls in. He investigates, finds the bestiary, and talks to uh, Doctor Bob. Bob says everything's cool, but the lie detector. But the lie detector says otherwise. Man with the birdie, he say yes. <laughs> the uh, the beast. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd get that reference. Sorry, uh, you know I'll sort of go along with it. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. The beast sits above the bestiary, full of anger. He uh, flashes back to Doctor Bob. Apparently, it's not just a clever name, as he's actually doing medical stuff on a, a monstrous Curlian dragon, a beast that's notable for its lust for blood and its human-sized brain, which are the two things I'm also known for. Um, <laughs> Bob's plan is to swap the brain of the dragon with the, that of his goon Igor. It's a success, and we meet Igor with the body of the Curlian dragon, who's just kind of this like you know, Lenny and um, of Mice and Men kind of alien goon. Um, and we learn that the dragon in Igor's body has gone kill crazy and that's what's on the loose. Oh, no. We uh, flash to like the, the man dragon in a cage trying to kill everybody and just start tourists being like, oh, that's nice. Like, I, I'm enjoying <laughs> this uh, roadside spectacle. <laughs> yeah. Gladi gladiators in Rome, man. It's been the same for 2,000 years. It's true. I mean, you know, 2,000 AD, so it works out. Uh, mm. Dredd goes to arrest the doctor, and he runs. But before Dredd can shoot him, the beast attacks and takes out the doctor. Dredd then takes the beast out in kind, and Igor is heartbroken by the death of his friend, and Dredd offers him a free body transplant. Why'd he do it? I guess there's a beast in every man. Yes. Whoa! The line's so good, George R. R. Martin nicked it. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one. I like the um, you know, the lettering for how Igor talks when he's in the robot body is real mm. fun. And then Cam Kennedy seems to clearly be having some fun with drawing these different rob these different monsters and stuff. Oh, it, it, it's 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 it definitely is a classic. I mean, there are little things that stick out at you, like Dread calling the Vagwag. Yeah. <laughs> 
which does sound a bit, the vagrant's wagon, but it does sound a bit suspect. You know. And, yeah, there's yeah. A, and, and as someone's running away, it's knee-popping time. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, Dred's out on the wasteland duty, so you got to make your own fun when you're out there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, speaking of making your own fun, it's Thrill 2 Cadet Quiz and Hologram Quiz. Par- I got one wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that damn Boinger got away. Oh, I know. You got you to do the... Uh, the incendiary rounds on the Boinger, man, because it sets them on fire. <laughs> yeah. It's like zombies. Which is worse? Zombies attacking you or zombies on fire attacking you? <laughs> mm. A Boinger knocking off, some people off the skidway or a Boinger on fire yeah, the skidway? Yeah, but, you know, I mean, at that point, it's the Boinger's fault for Boinging, right? But yeah, I, so, I, Look, <laughs> I, I've got to own it. I, I don't do as well as a five-year-old judge. It's fair, yeah. So there's two sets of quizzes here. One's got yeah, all the uh, you-are-the-judge type things, being the judge. The answers are on the bottom, so part of the quiz is that you're on your honor to not cheat on this test. Um, and then I think this one was pretty cool. It's a hologram quiz, which is based on that classic uh, Dave Gibbons' Future Worlds poster, which is a real classic piece of 2080 history. Just, you know, mm-hmm. it started as a, as a six page poster, which is gigantic and has all of these, uh, classic thrills. I love that, like, you know, it came out in like 81 and you can really sort of, uh, tell it from the different characters, like, featured mm-hmm. in it, but both who is there and who isn't there, you know, so it's like pre-robe yep. trooper, but like, you got like your, your Wolfie Smiths and your, uh, and your Dan Dare with a glove and stuff, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Still got stainless steel right there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't, you know, it's real good. Yeah, with like the future worlds and future war and all that stuff. It's real good. Um, and then it's got a bunch of questions for 2000 AD things. And yeah, I just love, you know, they bring this poster out every now and then. And I, I'm always a huge fan of it. Um, and yeah, it's yeah, it's got a lot of stuff, including a lot of Dread guys, which of course takes us to Thrill 3, Daily Dreads Part 1. Um, you know, uh, it's more uh, d- uh, dredge from the Daily Star script about John Wagner and Alan mm. Grant, art about Ron Smith, letting her about Tom Frame. And, you know, I say this every time, but I, I'm, re- I'm, you know, now I'm really appreciating just the, uh, all the compressed storytelling and the way they, you know, that uh, Ron Smith just bams out these comics and they're just really mm. amazing, you know? Um, and, and it, it just, the, 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 the uh, sorry. No problem. No, no, no. That, that's, uh, the, oh. the, the conciseness of it. Yeah, it's 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 so in a nutshell, you know. These are the guys who did the Apocalypse War in four pages yeah, or something. That's coming up this year. No, they're gonna they do the Apocalypse War in one strip, oh, God. <laughs> like in one of these in one of these pages of the whole Apocalypse War. But yeah, it's definitely like you know one of the one of the most masterful things about about 2080 generally is just the ability to tell this whole story in four you know a whole story in four pages, and this takes that to even the 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 biggest the highest degree where it's just in like half a page of like strips mm. and stuff. When I was in, when I was in college, one of the first things that like when I was a junior in college I, and, and, and had to take a big writing course uh, for history, one of the thing, one of the first assignments was to write like a, a, a 600 word essay and, um, and turn that in and then cut it down to like a 400 word essay um, and, and turn that in and stuff. And just this idea of, of getting things across with an economy of words and space is really, mm. is really a, a talent, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, these, so all these ones are from uh, late July to early March, 1983. And the, and these first two are in color as well, which is pretty fun. Uh, first, a bunch of aliens are invading earth. Uh, Dread and chief judge Magruder's are worried until the aliens show up. And it turns out they're all like six inches tall and they run mm. away. <laughs> Guns yeah. off this shorty. Quickest war I ever won. But I love this one because it's such a, uh, it's a, it's 100% a, um, a future shock plot. I feel like this, this has been the plot of like five future shocks already. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my, my thinking on it, of it is actually, it's Douglas Adams. It's that the, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the, the, the invasion feat eaten by a small dog. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't make it any, any better or worse it's just no, it's I mean, a classic yeah. idea yeah it, it, 
it keeps coming up. I just like how it's been repurposed for Dread. You know, Dread's such a universal science fiction setting that's always good to just reuse the stuff. Um, yep, definitely, definitely. My, then, my pick is actually the next one. Oh, yeah, this one's real fun where Dread's won the, the Killjoy of the Year contest and the guys at, and at like the magazine that gives it out are fighting over who has to tell them because they're worried they'll be angry. But suddenly Dread's at the door and the two editors climb out of their office and accidentally fall to their death because they're trying to hide in like the windowsill. And it turns out that Dredd's just there to tell him that a pirate magazine distributor has been caught. And he sees, like, the note saying that he's won the Killjoy of the Year, and he's delighted by it. He's, like, good to be recognized for something. <laughs> it's actually amazing to see Dredd's delighted face. <laughs> you know, he's like... It's nearly a smile. Yeah. It's nearly a smile. Yeah, it, 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 his mouth has almost become a flat line as it, <laughs> as it would transition to being upturned. But instead, it's just ever so downturned, you know? <laughs> Oh, and again, yeah. the, the star is the, the world, not Dredd himself. The, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's one of these, yeah, this, like, so many of these dailies really are a chance to just sort of talk about, to for for Dredd to just be one force that's sort of acting in this world of Mega City One, instead of Dredd himself being the focus, which I appreciate. I love a Dredd story, but I love just a Mega, a mega Citizen story, you know. <laughs> I, I have a theory, feel free to cut it out. Oh, please. But some, something I've, I've thought about, especially reading these, the shorter ones, mm-hmm. is I reckon that, that, um, Alan Grant and John Wagner, as younger boys growing up in, in, uh, more remote areas of the UK and Scotland and so, mm-hmm. they were influenced a lot by Damon Runyon, the American author. Mm. Because he has these worlds and these people and, I mean, there's, the, he has this character, Harry the Horse, who, who uh, got arrested for stealing a piece of rope and not realizing there was a horse on the other end of it. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of America that is the seed, I think, for Mega City One. I don't think you'll ever get to Mega City Book Club with guys and dolls. But, <laughs> but I, I know with my dad, who grew up in New Zealand, which was you know half a world away when he was young, if he wanted books to read, Runyon was a, you know, you've got your Dashiell Hammetts and you've got these other gumshoes and, and, mm-hmm. and hard-boiled detectives. But with Runyon, you've got the humor mm. that you can, you can see the line into to Judge Dredd's world. Interesting. And, and, the, and the clincher for me is one of the last stories he wrote was called Death Pays a Social Call, where <laughs> death visits the author to complain about the bum rap he's got and how life isn't just. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's just, that becomes Judge uh, Judge Death. That's an interesting well, no, no, like. But or, if you if you see Death and the when, when Death and Mean Machine and Dread go out on a oh that's a right yeah death, yeah <laughs> Death is not the the super fiend. He's the smart ass kind of <laughs> sidekick, and it just sort right. of there's a different there's you know there's the incredibly dark futuristic world of Dread, but there's also the craziness of Mega City One, and it's yeah. not they're not books I've read for a long time, but Runyon. I've just got this funny feeling in the back of my head that keeps popping up that Damon Runyon, this is Damon Runyon with a space laser. <sighs> Interesting. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, just, no, but was... I mean, yeah, I think it's a fair point that like the, uh, the I, for me, and this is probably just because I'm a silly person, but like the humor of dread is a really important part of it, you know, oh, yeah. that yeah, yeah. really like keeps it from being just a, a slog, a depressing slog, you know, <laughs> that like they can lighten up every now and then to sort of keeps things fresh. I feel like. Yeah. The, I remember when the, the say what you like about the Stallone movie and people do, but one of the reviews I read said the point is it's not a film. It's, it's not a series. The film might've missed the fact it's not a series glorifying a totalitarian state. Right. It's a satire. Yeah, about a totalitarian no, that, state. And yeah, that, that feels funny. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I've, you know, I can, I, I could, I, I could fill an hour uh, talking about what about why I feel like uh, the Stallone dreads problems that is too close to the comics. But that's more for like if we ever get to ninety five, and, right. and I have, have, have to co- have to do a big coverage of it, and that's where I'm just going to yeah. sort of do a big film study of it. It's going to be real stupid, but. Uh, <laughs> but hey, speaking of mixing uh, depressing things with humor. Uh, David, let's talk about Thrill 4, Robusters Part 1. By Pat Mills and art by Carlos Pinto, uh, Pino, and lettering by Tom Frame. Now, this, if I remember correctly, is the first Robusters story 
The North Sea Tunnel. It's from Star-Lord number two. I know that for sure. Um, is it two? Oh, okay. Oh, maybe that's what Barney said. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot to research it fully. <laughs> we'll fix all this in post. Yes. By 2078, man, that's sexist, has created wonders of engineering like the North Sea Tunnel, linking Britain and Scandinavia, and huge submarine tankers cruise the depths. But when the machine goes off course, man finds out his biggest achievement is also his biggest disaster. Who are you going to call? Robuster. Oh, I said that too. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Robusters are go. Robusters are, well, that, Robusters aren't go. And that's something oh, no. I've noticed. No, no, because we would have make a note about it. Um, Thunderbirds are go. So right. Robusters are ready to go into action. <laughs> the wording sort of slightly changed. Anyway, they're not international rescue even though they are jokingly referred to it as um, that the sub has burst through the Tritanium Tunnel wall and um, no one can turn back because they're all dead. Now, it, note, Tritanium is when you want to have titanium, but budgets, you know. <laughs> Within moments, the first disaster reports are being communicated by a robuster's scout Transformers wannabe chatterbox. <laughs> Diving into the ocean depths and estimating the rescue costs as a paltry half a million quid, chatterbox reports back to the base before being knocked out by an explosion. On the patently not Jerry Anderson-inspired praying mantis flagship, Howard Quartz, human cyborg, and continuity nightmare waiting to happen, orders his team into action. Special sea rescue pods blast away from the main ship and dock with an emergency airlock in the tunnel. Last one in's a sissy. And out come Hammerstein and Rojos. Sorry. Woo! <laughs> and other special rescue machines, including angel medical droids, who are a vast improvement on Dr. Feelygood. Yeah, they got a much more bedside manner, for sure, than yeah. Dr. Feelygood, you know. So, somewhat less terrifying. With Hammerstein's special equipment and Rojos's jaws, they set to work cleaning rubble and saving humes. At one point, Rojors even tucks a small girl into his chest cavity. So he seems a lot cleaner and larger than his foul mouth, foul smelling, uh, the, the foul mouth, foul smelling rogue he would become. It's true. He's cleaned up. This part really reminded me of, uh, of Bender and Futurama, who's also at least at one point had a small child inside his, his, his chest compartment. <laughs> it's very, uh, ev ev evocative just having a kid in there. It's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> She's also. She's also, even though he's bigger, she seems extra tiny and doll-like. I don't quite. That's true. Yeah, he's, he's got some uh, got got some TARDIS-like setups in there. I suppose you know. Stopping only to watch Meekquake or Meekquake, Meekquake. How do you? Which I say I say Meekquake. Meekquake. Okay. Uh, stop, stopping only to watch Meekquake make short work of a big job <laughs> with a stick and tanker. Our hardwired heroes see a figure on the seabed. It's Chatterbox. They leap to their comrades' rescue and rendezvous back with the Mantis, as Howard Quartz starts demanding payment on one of his mini phones. <laughs> and that's Robusters. Uh, awesome. Yeah, man, I love um, the phones on uh, Howard Quartz's chest are such a weird, like, 1978 detail of Howard Quartz, you know? That, especially when he starts talking about, like, getting them on red, like they got to go to a specific phone on his chest and stuff like that. Um, it's 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 very sort of Batman, and and the thing with Howard Quartz is, and, and the spoilers, guys, he's still going. He's still in the series, and he's become a very different beast to what he seems to be here. It's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, I mean, he's been in um, in Savage as well in, mm -hmm. in in recent comics. Like, just yeah, the idea that this, uh, you know brain in a bot character has managed to, has us you know st stood the test of time for 40 years is is, is pretty excellent you know i yeah. guess all these guys have but it's funny that that the rich guy is among them i suppose but, uh, but yeah so and again as you say from star wars so speaking of cut and paste stories <laughs> oh yes of course now we've got <laughs> thrill five do you copy <laughs> script robot uh peter milligan art of brendan mccarthy letter robot richard starkings um yeah, man, it's, just, it, it's a future shock. This is not like the uh, world's, this is not the world's greatest one. I think we can all agree. Mm. <laughs> Agent Riley is recovering the anything copier from Professor Zeros, who wants to sell it to the aliens, he says, for um, 
to make food, I guess, for humanitarian purposes. The Anything Copier, of course, does what it says, copies anything. Riley arrives on Professor's ship and fights wave after wave of Professor Zeros, finally killing the original one who turns out to be like a... Or no, sorry, going up against the original one that turns out to be like a dwarf one. The copier's been enlarging him and stuff. Um, He takes it out. The twist here is that the professor ends up saying that he wants to sell the copier to the aliens for humanitarian reasons, but that's actually a lie. He's going to sell weapons. But, like, the stakes were re- never really high enough for that to be, like, whoa, I'm shocked by this turn of events, you know? Mm. <laughs> like, it's very... No, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not shocked by anything. <laughs> it's true. I mean, this is very much a, uh, like, oh, I, you know, this... It, it could have easily have been goons as it is copies, so it's like, whatever. Uh, yeah. Mid-level future, sh- you know, future shock at best. Um, I'm I'm guessing... This is probably an early work by either McCarthy or Starkings um, that they're sort of tossing in here. Cause just because when there's random new stuff in the yeah. uh, in the sci-fi special especially, it usually means that it's sort of someone's test outing. Basically, like, yeah. you know, do this one to see if you can handle it, essentially. Um, I did I did like the fact that I, in my head, it's it's he's not Zeros, he's Xeros, because it sounds like Xerox. Ooh, but, but, that could 100% be right. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you've got to actually reread the story to try and work out the pun, oh yeah, you're not you're not, you're not in the top tier, guys. Espe- especially because there's not like a stinger for the pun at the end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yep. there's no like a point to pull the air horns on, on this thing. You know what I mean? Which is uh, yes, yeah. greatest yeah, not, greatest it, sin of future shocks. Like to yes. be frank, yes, <laughs> not, not even a wah wah wah. Oh, Man, I gotta now. I'm gonna now. I gotta find Foley for that. That's gonna be good. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of people's best efforts, it's Thrill Six. Computers can be creative, but you gotta draw a line somewhere. And Halo Jones. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, what the actual hell is Judge Space Chicken? <laughs> you know, you get weird stuff in these fan art pages. One hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> Where it's like, what is this? Like, I don't know. So, um, it's, it's, it's very well drawn. Don't get me wrong, it, but I just don't quite you know, get it. Ninety percent, like I'd say, for, for for my math, eighty percent of the time when something is confusing, it's sort of either mostly or one hundred percent copied out of a out of a role playing game book, like a, mm-hmm. a a traveler book or something like that, just for science fiction things and stuff like and stuff. Um, but so this is uh, two pages, one with stuff drawn by computers. Um, or at least, uh, pixelated drawings. And the other one, uh, uh, hand drawn. There's pictures of like sticks, Rojas, and the biochips and dread in the, um, in the computer side. And then on the hand drawn stuff, there's a bunch of traced things, including, uh, Judge Arnold, which is just the poster from Terminator with a slightly different gun glove. Um, you know, fie on these tracers, I say. <laughs> Um, after that, it's the, uh, two page centerfold of the special, which is a, uh, big old picture of Halo Jones by Ian Gibson, and it is glorious for sure. Mm. Um, real nice. It's got a sort of interesting sort of green and purple, like, color palette, I want to say. Um, mm. it's, and, it, it, it's good. It's, yeah, yeah. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Who's going to pull it out and stick it on the wall? But it That's super good. fair. Yeah. And like definitely seems rough that the cover sort of it promises Halo Jones and it's just sort of the centerfold. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, just, just sort of uh, these uh, comic book publishers giving us what promising us one thing and giving us something else, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it ought to we, be. We will, we will curse your name 40 years from now. It's true. Yeah, it ought to be a crime. And speaking of crimes, Thrill oh. 7, The Daily Dreads Part 2. Strip search. Yes. All right. <laughs> Again, script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art robot Ron Smith, Lego robot Tom Frame. Uh, so first we got one called Strip Search, which is basically your standard Dread thing where he uh, arrests both muggers and the person who was being mugged because they have a warrant and then pulls some jubes out of a wrecked car while just sort of reflecting casually on the crime-ridden nature of Mega City 1, as you do. I, I, I thought this one was pretty dark. I, if you're, again, I... I read this when you guys were covering the what is it the dread the case for um, case for treatment yeah the case treatment and it slides in so nicely with the the world of dread and dread then um yeah just the 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 
the, the soul-destroying nature of having to be a judge and deal with these people all the time. Yeah, don't and, get a break. Don't get a sleep. Yeah. yeah, and there's just and there's no and, and you know everybody's guilty of something like literally <laughs> because yes. you just you it's you know you you never I could imagine being a judge you just never feel like you're like making like progress you know like you can't mm. look back and see like okay well here's all these law abiders you know it's just sort of it's yeah it's like trying to trying to clear like like clear a forest where all the trees grow back overnight or something like that you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I, for a, for a daily strip, very, very, quite gloomy, quite Indeed. dark. <laughs> well, this is weekly, but still, de definitely the same oh. idea. Yeah, that is, it's just tough, and just sort of, you know, this Mega City One concept is like is ridiculous, and and I think, like you said, yeah, it's a grinder. Like it'll just take you out. <laughs> Next, it's Bat Blitz. A bat glider is swooping around, robbing people, but he happens to be in an apartment that is undergoing a crime blitz, which is, of course, when judges just burst down your door and look for illegal stuff in your apartment. Um, the glider thief is arrested, and blitz continues, and the apartment resident has slept through it all despite the fact there was like a gun battle and stuff going on right over right over his nose <laughs> is it just me or should they be checking that apartment a bit more thoroughly <laughs> i mean you know they, they just on something they just burst the door and i feel like this guy's gonna be have a rude awakening at some point <laughs> <laughs> and speaking, of, speaking of rude awakenings, yeah, it's uh, great moments in science number 471. A scientist presents an, an elixir that turns him into a werewolf and he wreaks havoc, wakes up in a cell, and is uh, been arrested for a number of violent crimes and two counts of fouling the walkways. Oh. The whole gag is dog poo. <laughs> Always. <laughs> oh, dear. It's no night of the werewolf, no. But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta do the, the little stuff and do the big stuff for sure. Finally, uh, 910 out, a bunch of, uh, crooks are doing, uh, warriors, which is when criminals realize that they outnumber the cops if they all band together. But then, uh, Dredd shows up to question their math as one judge is worth way more than Thank 10 you. crooks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm looking at this going, I'm sure the crooks are meant to be people. There's one in the background, I'm pretty sure it's Patrick Swayze, but, <laughs> It's, yeah, they're they're in this in that sort of uh, sort of Ron Smith like a caricature style almost, mm. where you know they have their, their the sort of you know all their features are exaggerated in a way that makes them look familiar, but also sort of real out there. You know, it's what I love about Ron Smith's stuff for sure. It makes it so mm. instantly recognizable. This ability to draw everybody as ugly in different ways is really great. You know, I love the meeting at the lousy lousy rat bar. <laughs> It's just one of this. This feels like one of many like um, criminal meetings. I mean, Ron Smith did a whole bunch or drew a whole series of uh, dread stories that are about like all the top criminals meeting up for uh, to, to plan oh, the right, perfect crime and stuff like that. Yes. So this feels like a like a a Daily Star sort of version of that series of uh, of uh, stories. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of a series of stories, let's move on to Thrill 8, Robusters Part 2. Red Mist. It's 2078 still. Right. In Florida, USA. Sorry? No, go ahead. Yeah, no. this is from Star-Lord number three, I should mention. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, and an experimental U.S. Army gas has leaked into and sweeps across the swamps. The effects are immediate and tragic as the mist turns humans and animals alike into stark, staring mad lunatics. Another job for Robusters. In actually what must be the first ABC Warriors type plot. <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's a Robusters versus Florida man. It's very exciting. <laughs> oh, crossover for the ages. Yeah, it made everybody in Florida 10% more kill crazy. It's real, it's real rough. <laughs> in the Praying Mantis, Howard Quartz receives, ah, in the Praying Mantis, Howard Quartz releases the Robusters in what must be the first of ABC action, ABC action mm -hmm. with an em emphasis on the B and the C. Sorry, fix that pose. <laughs> but below, in the swamps, the alligators in a vast reptile ranch attack a school bus that has crashed in the midst and kill and gobble up the driver, Clegg style. Slicey, oh, slicey. No. <laughs> Ignoring their orders to save a local senator, Rojors and Hammerstein race to the children's aid. Oh, nuts. He's a fully grown Hume. He can't even look after himself. 
Oh, he'll look after himself. Uh, you got it. Yeah. Today. <laughs> Rojors blasts the beast with caustic cleaning foam while Hammerstone puts his World War III fighting skills into action. Crisis averted, Rojors takes a moment to try and console the son of the driver, pointing out at least his dad will never beat him again. Hammerstein <laughs> takes over using his skills in writing war letters home to the bereaved. Needless to say, the child is going to need serious therapy. Either that, knowing Pat Mills, he's probably going to be the founder of the Order of the Terminators. I like anyway. how he, uh, how how Hammerstein instantly ma- managed to magically summon a park bench to um, give this stern talking to. to yeah. But the bust is still stranded, and ro- the robo driver, call me Marvin, is a jobsworth who refuses to take orders from either robots or children. No amount of bribery or swearing or threats will make him shift. A typical grade three. <laughs> but then, in the distance, we see they see humans in the mists, and the robots investigate, only to find a band of convicts from a chain gang that the mist has driven insane. Oi, Humes, are you loonies? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Oh, no. The robots, the robots <laughs> escape the kill crazy convicts. Sorry? No, go ahead, please. The robots escape the kill crazy convicts and race back to the bus with a band of maniacs in hot pursuit through the poisonous red mist stuck in the, with a, in a sinking grade three bus in a swamp full of angry gators. What will happen next? Turn to page 57 to find out. But first, let's keep this nat, this, uh, swamp theme going with Thrill Nine. DR and Quinch get back to nature. Uh, scripture about Alan Moore, art about <gasps> Alan Davis, lettering about Steve Potter. Yeah, I was 100% not expecting more Alan Moore, Alan Davis, DR, and Quinch. So this is a real treat right in the middle of this like random special for sure. It is awesome. Definitely. You, you, yeah. Just the, the, hu- the humor sits it apart from everything. It's else. true. Yeah, so we have a, a kid writing home. It seems to be a kid writing home from his parents from Camp Apocalypse. Things are great um, as the counselors are showing them a whole bunch of nature things. How to tell the difference from mind-wrenchingly painful poison stingwort wart from plain old common bind wart. And the way you do it is you... Come here, kid. Yeah, you throw a kid in there and see if they're in... <laughs> if, if, if they are. Uh, it was, by the way. And yeah, Waldo Dobbs and Ernest D.R. Quinch have become camp counselors. They have more fun. I, yeah. I love the way... Sorry, I love the way they're dressed as like really old fashioned English Boy Scouts with the big pants and the hat and the, I Absolutely. don't I don't know what um, scouting's like in, like in America, but we had nothing like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, here this it, it it felt really familiar for America, just sort of yeah, like a Boy Scouts or part like a sort of a Boy Scout slash Camp Ranger sort of thing, mm. and seemed really appropriate for like yeah, like a a, a boy like like a sleepaway camp or something like that. Mm. Um, like I always. Granada. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or like, um, like I kept. I swear, like twenty, like or no. I initially called this thing just sort of by by muscle reflex. Uh, Dr. and Quinch go to camp. Like uh, Ernest goes mm. to camp. I guess if you ever saw that one. But um, I'm aware of it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Back fair enough. <laughs> but um, it's the same sort of thing of just like yeah, this um, you know, camps where um, kids go for for a couple of weeks and sort of see a tree for the first time or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we have more. And, and, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, no, no, please. No, I was going to say, and 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 uh, well, Alan Moore is. Hitting everything out of the park with this, Alan Davis's art is beautiful because there's just so much happening in the background. Yeah, absolutely. We see, yeah, all their all their fun camp adventures. They're like shooting down birds to better identify them. What kind of bird is it? Oh, it's too far away to tell. Bam! All right, now it's close. What kind of bird is it? A dead bird? Yep. <laughs> they're they're starting fires with napalm blasters, then learning how to survive forest fires. Uh, how to <laughs> how to forage for food by robbing uh, local stores. That's- oh, and the love the balaclava on that little kid as he's handed the gun. Just point fires in the air, and if you, if they give you any look. <laughs> they uh, go to uh, play with a uh, giant uh, monsters, misreading the guidebook, and a uh, and a and a confusing docile beasts with man-eating predators, which is pretty excellent. Uh, um, oh, I turned two pages at once, man. Hang on. <laughs> Oh, and it. as the cops close in and, you know, we hear police helicopters with like, you know, like a dob surrender and come quietly. <laughs> as this happens, we see that the uh, letters might in fact not be written by by the uh, kids. 
as the parents get in, uh, in instructions to arrive at camp, leave their cars running with the keys in the ignition, and then from <laughs> this fiery hellscapes, as the cops, as, as the uh, police officers again roll in, the letter concludes, and da- and Dr. and Quinch leg it to safety. No one has appreciation for nature these days, man. That's right. <laughs> it's like Innsville, man. <laughs> it's great, and it's just this. Like two page, like splash in color of just this, like this war zone in this camp as like all these kids and parents are sort of t- are attacked by these cops and stuff. And you just see like DR and Quinch like making full Looney Tunes, like, you know, running moves <laughs> as they go. It's really amazing. It is. And, and I said before, there was one thing that I remembered really, really fondly. And I got the monthly collected DR and Quinch and that just. That was a stone-cold classic for me for a long time. Excellent. Yeah, fantastic. And hey, speaking of uh, of uh, high points in this uh, in this special, let's go to a uh, low point with uh, Thrill 10 Road Trooper. Uh, Indeed. Uh, no credits for this one because it's the tech story about Rogue Trooper. I feel like it's Cam Kennedy for the art for Rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I gotta say, this was something I was worried about when we started doing these annuals, which was that, um, I'd feel real bad as everybody else had fond memories of, like, these tech stories and stuff. And I felt, and I, and I would feel bad because I was skipping them. But the fact that everybody has universally d- disliked them and not been interested in them has really been, uh, you know, it's really made me feel justified in my beliefs. And I think everybody can appreciate that. <laughs> I have a I have a theory that the tech stories. This is something more for the Dandier ones with Eagle, but mm-hmm. I have the same vibe with this. It's the script breakdown for a submission for a Rogue Trooper story that didn't quite cut it, oh. and then was once slightly edited into a prose story. Interesting, because it has that sort of jump of you know you have a, the bit at the start where it sets the scene, then you have it all being narrated by uh, Helm, I think. Yeah, and then it all back to something else. But and and the other, but I don't know how they managed to do it because how can this the story written be longer than the comic strip you'd make from it? It is like five pages, pages, yeah. yeah. And I, and like famously, um, I know from from what I've heard from what the what the writers talk about or what the artists talk about, I should say, like. The main artists, like, I've seen interviews with both, like, in, in the annuals, I've seen interviews with both Bellardinelli and Ascara that say, like, listen, the less instruction you can give me, the better, because it just means I can sort of do whatever and, and, and work from there, you know? Like, it's, like, this one feels almost like a script breakdown, breakdown just because it's got so many sound effects in it. Like, it's got a thousand sound effects, which rarely, actually, r- rarely don't happen. But yeah, like, well, I, I, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Oh, I used to have a theory. Well, no, I used to jokingly have a theory that Rogue Trooper was based on the um, ancient Chinese story, The Journey to the West, about a monk and his three fellow pilgrims who fell from heaven, uh, wandering the earth on a to, to, to try and find salvation. And the reason I thought that was because on every page there are the words Buddha, 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 Buddha. <laughs> Oh my god, I gotta go to New Zealand and, and, and high five you for that one. That's pretty amazing. Like I, I I was on the journey. I was like gonna I was like gonna I was really into it. I was like starting to Google like Journey of the West on my phone. It's ridiculous. Well, uh, journey of the West is a classic of Chinese literature yes. and it was made into Monkey, which was a very popular TV series. Um, so you could you could make that have legs, but that, that was no. That's I, I was fan- winding yes. me up. I was- Fantastic! No, listen, we're high fiving. Um, but yeah, <laughs> listen, this one's just whatever. Like Rogue gets in a bad spot, and I, th- I think it's actually Bagman who's writing his last will and testament, oh, and then okay, tells the enough. story. But it's mostly just Chip bickering, blah blah blah. They start fighting. Um, like I said, yeah, the, for me, the real highlight in here is just all the sound effects that are in different sized fonts and different levels of boldness and stuff, which and, does make and it look more like a comic than regular writing, for sure. And, and now you mention it, you're right, because the art has actually got nothing to do with the story. It's, it's just, yeah, Cam, we need, we yeah. need four half pages of Rogue Art. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> it's very like, all right, like we just got to get this in here and then whatever. You know, uh, yeah. these tech stories are always the worst. 
Um, and, you know, and, and are just sort of there for taking up space mostly. And speaking of, uh, more things taking up space, it's a Thrill 11 Strontium Dog Scissors Scan. Actually, as a kid, I would have really enjoyed that. Would you have actually, yeah, like, like, uh, c- cut this out and, like, tried to, oh, sorry. So it's, it's the, it's a Robin Smith, uh, cut out paper doll of, uh, Johnny Alpha. We've, we've seen a couple of these for different characters before. It, it, if I, unfortunately, I was the kind of kid who thought taking a, a pair of scissors to any book was was a bad move. That's fair. But if if, if I was presented it on a nice piece of you know, well produced card, yeah, that would have been me for twenty minutes on a rainy afternoon. That's fair. I mean, yeah, for, it, you know, for sure. I don't know. It's just sort of like these, like all these cutouts, always rub me the wrong way a little bit, and it's mostly because. Um, it's Robin Smith doing the art, and Robin Smith's fine on art, but, you know, he's very, he's still like the art editor at this point, so it sort of feels like he's muscling in on other people's turf when he draws their characters and stuff. Mm. You know, like when he did it with Johnny Alpha or with Slane or other guys, you know, I don't know. Sort of like, hey, like, I, that's not your guy to do that with, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, I could imagine it's because he was, you know, part, it was part of his editorial job to do, knock out some pages on the cheek. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to be rude, but that's, that's, I, 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 no, I think that's, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that's know, right, just because we've seen a lot of Robins. Like, when so far, almost always, when we see Robin Smith, it's in the uh, annuals and specials, and so it feels like it's sort of an extra art thing. Yeah, just sort of because they needed mm. to fill some space for, for speaking sure. Of filling, well, speaking I mean, of filling space. We, we, we all kind of <laughs> fill space, but I feel like this is sort of one where we're reaching back to have some fun with it. It's a Thrill 12 Robusters Part 3. By page 57, the peril of the situation has called, has caused Call Me Angel's mind. And with Hammerstein pushing and fighting off gators, the bus is free. Yay. And they still have to fight their way through the convicts, <laughs> who turn out to be no match for Hammerstein's hammer and Rojo's jaws. The children are saved. I think he hits him with his shovel a couple are, times, too. Sub- yeah. <laughs> he, oh, he does. Yes, he does. Fair enough. The children are saved, but our heroes have disobeyed orders and Quartz orders them to report to Mickwake for a big job-style punishment. But just as the massive mauler is about to disassemble our heroes, Quartz realizes that the children are immune to the red mist and could be a source for an antidote. The robusters are forgiven, and the children are experimented on. Hooray! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Now, here's a question, though. Mm -hmm. If the red mist is still somehow in the ecosystem... Mm. Is everyone in Mega City One just a bit crazy from the residual effects in a hundred years' time? Is I the mean, antidote not complete? I mean, it could sort of explain like why some of the uh, like some of the attitudes of the people in the southern sections of Mega City One. I'm thinking like when they danced the Apocalypto during the Apocalypse War when that part of the city mm-hmm. was destroyed and stuff. Um, yep. And like, I mean, honestly, if you know, a slight dosing of the red mist, which there is an antidote for. If that's all you have to deal with in terms of like leftover stuff from previous wars and other things in Mega City One, I feel like you got to, got got to count yourself lucky. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot going but, on. You know, there, well, I mean, in my head, Ken, and I'm sitting there going, "Is the Senator Robert Booth?" Mm. <laughs> Could be. No, I don't. I'm not sure how the maths works out because Star Lord was a different universe at that stage. But it's true. You're sitting but- there going. Yeah. Like, how does this go? I mean, you know, uh, well, no, because I think, ugh, ugh, yeah, it's, a, you know, it, it, I forget because I, I feel I'm like. I'm sure it's by, not. Because uh, by 78, like, Dread has already been cloned and stuff like that, you know? Oh, okay, yeah. So I feel yeah. like, but I forget my actual timeline for it. You know, for all this stuff, no. I always just say that there's so much time travel in the Dread universe that, um, you know, anything's realistically possible. It's like when just there's different origins for things in Doctor Who and stuff. It's just like, ah, you know, time mm-hmm. travel sort of butterfly affecting its way through all this stuff. True. <laughs> very, very true. Plus, I think... Where's the, where it, the, where's the time squad when you need them? Exactly. Plus, I think at, in like by, tw- you know, in our current day in 2018, I be- um, I've read that Robusters and Howard Quartz and the and anything sort of vulgar and associated has been specifically disassociated from Dread. Those are now separate timelines or our world things yeah i think those have been explicitly split apart at this point uh, okay um, the, the mills verse and the wagner verse no longer shake hands yeah so ba- ba- that's my understanding of it or or i i think the actual answer is that it's far more complicated than that but like better not to get into it too much <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a whole other episode. Yeah, because there will still be Hammersteins in the Dread universe, especially when the uh, Stallone movie comes out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's better mm-hmm. not to get into it. I just want to say also, this Robusters story has one of my favorite uh, Robusters tropes, which is Rojas and Hammerstein, like calmly sort of making jokes and saying farewell as as Mechquake prepares to destroy them. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love how agreeable they are to their own destruction generally. <laughs> you know? it, it's probably Silicon Heaven, man. Yeah. Silicon Heaven. Hey, otherwise where would the calculators go, right? Uh- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. So let's finish. So speak of reaching the end, we let's go to Thrill 13. Dark's photo album and the future is Zarjaz. Hey. So, yeah, exactly. First, we got Tharg pasted into a bunch of different photos, including an episode of Happy Days and various fancy dress and rock music venues and stuff. Um, this is just fun just because, you know, they didn't have Photoshop. So this is definitely just like some letterer or something like mm. cutting out Tharg with a razor blade and gluing him in places. <laughs> Yeah. Thug, thug showing the natives how. I'm not sure which is more offensive, the photo or the pun. Mm, because <laughs> with a bunch of Native Americans, yeah, it's it, it's it, it's tough. You know, it's 1985, I guess, so maybe they don't know any yeah. better. But I don't know. Um, after that, there's a page of just a bunch of uh, 1984 covers, including like a blind robe, the Styx Brothers, DR and Quinch, and Ace breaking out of jails. Uh, get 2080 now, it tells us. And I have to admit, I never noticed it before you mentioned it on another cast, mm-hmm. but the fact they're black and white just just yeah. sort of makes it really weird. No, as always, it's it's a bummer that, yeah, there's all these covers and they're black and white. And, you know, because they had co- color the first time, so they sort of lose something a little bit. And just, yeah, it's just sort of, you know, it's always sad when something goes from color to black and white, I think. You know, it's not always good when the other thing, when it, when it goes the other way around, it goes from black and white to color, but to lose color is like some kind of weird, uh, metaphor for something that's, I don't know, it's hard to explain. <laughs> and then finally, there's a special ad, there's a, the special ad with an ad for Forbidden Planet. It's got a bunch of 2080 collections, t-shirts, buttons, and all that sort of 2080 and 2080 related memorabilias. Although other comic shops are available. Indeed, yes. Just one happens to like have former former uh, team members and stuff working at it or owning it and stuff. But anyhow, oh my gosh, Dave, David from Where Eagles Dare, we have reached the end of the 1985 sci-fi special. Huzzah! Exactly. And with that, only one question remains. What were your top and bottom thrills? Top thrill? How could it not be DR and quench all right i mean man how could it not be (laughs) it is just just so much awesome packed into the little bundle it's just oh lovely how about yourself what's your oh man for top yeah i mean dr and quench is real good i really like that one a lot i i i really like the classic uh uh, robusters stories as well um i thought those were a lot of fun um just because I always like to see sort of the original days and just sort of, uh, you know, the uh, Rojas and Hammerstein sort of doing their own thing, sort of ha- uh, uh, hanging out and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to say DR and Quinch. And so what's your bottom for this uh, special? You guys have ruined Rogue Trooper for me forever. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, know, I never realized really reading it as a kid, but there is this sort of endless fetch quest nature mm. to the Rogue Trooper stories, and that doesn't translate into a text story particularly well at all. Um, and, and everything else which is as bad in the, the magazine isn't as long. I mean, this is five or six pages. And yeah. it's just, okay, really? <laughs> it's true. It, yeah, it's both it's both not fun and sort of hangs around for quite a while. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. So, yeah, that would be my pick. How, how about you? Anything uh, more egregious offend Ooh, your sensibilities? I mean, I really, yeah, like the text story, of course, I, I, I maintain my prejudice against them. Um, and I just find them to be boring and not what I'm coming to comics for generally. Um, I thought the future shock was, was pretty crummy. Uh, mm-hmm. this special as well, just because like it feels like they're trying to have like a twist with him, with like the doctor saying, actually, I am using this for, for military purposes and like 
the copiers like making them bigger or something like those are two pieces that you maybe could have done a, a better like like a more complicated yeah. story with but instead they're just yeah. sort of there on the table and so the potential for more complicated stories sort of just presented and then left and that's sort of a bummer to me i guess mm. Mm. and, and it, uh, the art sort of stuck out a bit too i'm not I'm not complaining about it but it just seemed to be of a different tone to everything else in the the special and while the anthology comics you can have things that look vastly different. Yeah, I mean, through. it just it just seemed to leap out as. Yeah, this feels like early days for for McCarthy. I gotta say, and so his it's his, his, his like style feels c- c- kind of rough here. Like it's and, not and as like really polished as things. Yeah, it's an in, yeah, it's an interesting. It's got a different format, definitely than than some of the other ones in the, in the special for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, we won't kick you when you're down. <laughs> You know, I mean, listen, it's important to sort of say why things are good and why things are bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, uh, again, I'll say for the record, like the problem with Rogue Troopers is that I feel like it really works if you're reading it once a week, but if you're reading it like four times a week or something like that, then yeah. you, st- you, you start to see sort of its, um, like the strings for it basically. And so, yes. you know, yeah. it, it messes with the illusions of the puppet show or something. Um, yeah. but yeah. Okay. Awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Space Spinner 2000. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner 2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, look for Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. David, where can we find Where Eagles Dare? Where Eagles Dare is on iTunes. We also are on SoundCloud. We've been picked up by some bizarre podcatchers that we didn't subscribe to, so we might be in the wild on the internet. We have a Facebook page, and we tweet on at SoForgetting, which is uh, what Pete and I do uh, with uh, Doctor Who, Where Eagles Dare, and maybe some other stuff in the future if we can get our acts together. All right. Always I know that feeling of trying to get things going for sure. Awesome. So everybody come back next time as Judge Anderson goes up against the four dark judges in her new solo <gasps> strip. Dread <sighs> continues. For, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's excellent. I, I, want, I want one of those Dread plushies. <laughs> Keep an uh, eye out open for it. There's a Dread plushie. <laughs> uh, Dread keeps fighting crime. Slain fights time. Rogue fights animal men. And Strontium dogs return to get in on the big bust of 49. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's David, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Slug, 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 slug.